Hey, this is Ashlyn, former co-host of the Top 10 Recovery Podcast, The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert. I have had my challenges, but I am also living proof that joy is possible, even when life does not go as planned. Every day I get to help women rise and find their own healing despite their circumstances. I'm excited to share with you real examples of living a life full of adventure, true healing, and freedom, no matter how messy life gets each episode, I will introduce you to someone I love and respect to talk about ways to be the buffalo and to face your storms in different areas of life. If you're looking for just betrayal topics, catch me on my former podcast where there are four years of golden content, all for free at your fingertips. All right, let's do this. Hello, hello. I have a new friend here, Tammy Hill, who is a therapist who's also a sex educator. And I'm excited to introduce her to you because I think all of us can benefit from understanding ourselves, our partners, and um, moving towards just a better partnership. So we're talking about prioritizing female pleasure today. And Tammy Hill is passionate about strengthening marriage relationships. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and an active member of the American Association of Sexual Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. She's a wife, mother, grandmother, author, and therapist. She's an adjunct faculty member at BYU, where she teaches hundreds of students each semester in marriage preparation, marriage enhancement, and healthy sexuality in marriage courses. Tammy's first book, God Made Girls and Boys, is a beautiful children's book, and her second book just came out, Replenish, Creating Sexual Fulfillment in Marriage, is for LDS couples. She has free resources available on her website, which I'll put in the show notes, and she offers numerous making love retreats, honeymoon workshops, and dating boot camps each year. So she knows what she's talking about. She is the expert here, and that is why I'm sharing her with you today. So Thank you for being here, Tammy. Thank you, Ashlyn. That was nice introduction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to have you here. And I love when I love really when people are more niched into a group. So you're that Christian base and saying, Hey, let's find pleasure. Let's find our sexuality as a couple. And I wish I had had that. Yes. Back back when I got married, you know, 23 years ago as a young student in college, I didn't have um the class. You said what is it? A healthy sexuality and marriage course. I had no idea they offered that at BYU. That's amazing. Yes, okay. Started that class 8 years ago. Good. Good, yeah. good. So, um I would love to hear what first I'm sure you started as a marriage and family therapist and then have moved into the sex educator. Tell me why maybe that road was taken. Um, Well, sex has been something I've been curious about all my life. And if people get the book replenished, they can kind of read a little bit more about my story, but I've, I've never felt ashamed for being interested in sex, but I really hard to find information that was helpful about sex. And um, it's either too religious, it's too academic, or it feels like it's really pornographic. I just, and it's not practical. And so, and so there's not a book quite like this one. And I'll tell you why. 
one, it does have a good Christian base. So it, based, so it has um, the LDS theology, Christian, that theology. It also has research from an academic scholastic level. But then I do a therapeutic process in it between couples. There's a section each chapter where couples individually do some processing mm-hmm. then come together and do processing together around the principle. And then finally, I have actually experiential sexual activities that I encourage them to try and work together because sex is something that you learn. You can't just mm-hmm. read about doing sex. You have to kind of do it. <laughs> and so it's combined with theology, research, therapy, as well as sexual education in, in things to try. Wow. It sounds like a great book. I'm so proud of it. Good, (laughs) good. And I love the cover. Hold up the cover of it. it has some great art on it. I love the cover too. Yeah. It just looks like a good connecting couple happening right there. I I love this picture. I, I hired it done by the artist and I, I just love all the elements are there. It's earthy, but it's also yeah. eternal. I just loved it. So thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. So Tammy, tell me this. Uh, you have all of these resources. You're teaching young students who I'm sure some are single, some are married. Right. Um, then you're meeting with couples. What are some of the common maybe issues that you're seeing or beliefs around sexuality? Um, I think the underlying core issue with sexual pleasure, female sexual pleasure is, is not just something that's religious. It, it is definitely part of a, a shame, like that wanting to have pleasure or to learn about sexuality. Oftentimes feel has felt like for a lot of Christian women, particularly as a, as something that's sinful and not really Mm -hmm. a faithful kind of thing to do, which I don't believe whatsoever, but it, I, so that contributes to it. Some of that conservative, um, religious culture, but also we have uh, an entire, um, as far as social science research has done has not included women. Um, really largely until the 1990s, women were intensively studied for pleasure. Um, And and so I love that it's okay to talk about the history of female sexual research, because this is so fascinating to me. Yes, bring it. Originally, um, women really weren't considered sexual beings, um, because women, typically most women do not orgasm with penetration alone. And so back in the late 1700s to mid 1800s, it just was assumed that women weren't really sexual. And so uh, there was a condition medically that was called um, hysteria, that women um, were experiencing a lot of, um, just a lot of depression, anxiety, uh, a lot of loin and you know, just a lot of pressure maybe in the loins that was contributing to dissatisfaction, loneliness. There were a lot of mental health um, things associated with hysteria and and responding to hysterical behavior outbursts. Hmm. So um, a a particular doctor in the late 1800s discovered that if he were to stimulate the clitoral glands, which remember at this point, it's not considered a sexual thing because that ethically wouldn't fly, of course, probably yeah. <laughs> <or> now. <laughs> of course not now. 
But, um, and so as, as stimulating the clitoral glands would create an orgasm or an orgasm, which then would temporarily relieve the woman of these mental challenges. Mm. And so there were, the first vibrators actually were created by medical doctors to help women have orgasms. Um, and so there ha and the, even Masters and Johnson's in the first sexual response cycles in the late 50s, 1950s was all done on the male brain. Women have not largely been researched until the mid in 1987-ish when, when we started finally having some female wow. psychologists that stepped in. I was actually teaching healthy sexuality in marriage at BYU as the first year was offered. So this is like seven years ago, eight years ago when um, we actually understood the entire size of the clitoris. Um, that is not long ago. That is not long ago. This last last summer I was at a it's a world conference for sexual educators I love that conference every year and so it was in Switzerland and we learned all about and I have a chapter on this in the book about the G zone and and there's so much more capacity we learned that we do women actually do have a prostate gland and that there's so much more capacity for pleasure than has ever been understood. So these two factors together, um, Ashlyn, the fact that we haven't had a lot of knowledge about female sexual pleasure to begin with, and couple that with an idea religiously that this is somehow inappropriate or not good behavior, you can see there's a lot of, um, a lot of people who've grown up in homes where this hasn't been a topic of conversation where they've had parents that haven't had any type of education or training to help them understand all of this. And so they come into marriage really unprepared mm -hmm. um, and not knowing for sure how to get help. Yeah, that was me, Tammy. You just described me. And I was naive and mm, I have this thing called scrupulosity which if you know what that means, I, I just really want to be good. And so religion was really hard on my brain because even when I was being good, it was telling me I was being bad or that other people might think I was bad. And so even the thought of like looking at another man and thinking he was good looking, it's still hard for me to this day. And I am a, like, I am not married and I am not religious. And then my brain still is like, don't do that. Don't, look at people like that. Um, so for me getting married and having no education really, and just being told you'll figure it out. And I didn't really figure it out for a long time, for a long time. And so for me to be able to just open up people's world is basically me saying, Hey, this is for younger Ashlyn who really could have used a podcast like this to understand that I wasn't alone, that society and my culture had really created a dynamic for me to flounder and, and, and not know, and not even seek it out. And so I love that it's being offered in college courses and talked about so openly and that we know we can now ask for help. We can go to therapy and we can go to workshops and retreats and figure these things out. Yes. Sign me up. 
Yes, so much. And I, I, my heart just aches. I, I know I have clients that experience grupulosity in different ways and that's so tough. I'm so sorry for that experience you have, but your brain just never stops. And that's exhausting. Um, I, I do have to say that I'm so excited for this next generation of women that I'm teaching right now. These women are going to be the mothers that are future mm-hmm. in need. These are the women that are going to, and, and men, women and men who are going to be able to talk about sexuality without shame and embarrassment or fear. Um, one of the big things that's also really wrong is a lot of um, parents don't, they're fine to talk about sexuality with their children in and outside of a religious culture. They're fine to talk about sexuality in regards to safety. But less than 1% of the population ever talks about sexual pleasure with their children. We are not comfortable letting our children know that mom and dad enjoy this part of their marriage. And um, I hope we're changing the tides because children need to know that this is a good part of being alive and nothing to be afraid of, absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. It's okay to be curious and to find um, resources that are going to really help you um, prepare to experience so much more joy than a lot of people ever have. Mm. I love all of that. And would you say your book would cover some of that for parents? Um, The first book? The first book, oh, the first book is more um, kind of understanding. It definitely has an LDS theology of heavenly parents and it's more, talking about um, that we have come to earth and we have an opportunity to make choices that will help us return to heaven, basically. Okay. Okay. Um, I just, you know, whenever there's resources for us as parents, I think we need it. And I think we're all wanting to do it better. And I know my mom and my dad wanted to do it better than theirs. And, and then we keep finding new and better information to keep trying more and more. So yes, I think my girls are going to be a very different version of how I have parented them. And I hope they are. Um, okay. So let's say we have someone who is listening, who may be more, who was on my path of really not understanding their own sexual pleasure as a woman and maybe even their partner doesn't understand. And it comes very easily for a man, I would say compared to a woman. And I used to really look at that as it's so unfair and it's so easy for you to understand your body. And it's so easy for you to reach orgasm. And for me, I don't quite understand what's working and what's not working. And especially, um, when I was in that religious, I, because of the scrupulosity, it just was hardcore for me. Like I just didn't look and I didn't touch Mm -hmm. myself. And so I really didn't understand my own anatomy and what did feel good and what could help me reach orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so many, there's lots of different things in there. I hope I can hit on all of them. (laughs) Well, it, it isn't in a lot of ways. It isn't fair. Um, boys, men know by the age of two that what feels good and what doesn't feel good on their penis and testicles. That is just, everything is external is exposed. They have a lot of information long before young girls do because 
most of everything that provides pleasure is under the labia, two layers of labia, and it's kind of tucked up in there. And unless you really go seeking to understand pleasure, you're not going to naturally really know what it feels like or what to expect. And so in that way, I, 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 I do believe a lot of times men just know so much more about their own pleasure mm -hmm. than women do biologically. I also have to say, as a, a woman who, honestly, I've been so curious about sex as a little girl, I, I'm just fascinated by sex. And I'm like I say, I've never felt embarrassed for it. It's a curiosity that I think maybe is something that's naturally a gift I have or something. But I do know that if I, I think it would have been really hard for me as a boy because of mm -hmm. the way I think to be able to not always be masturbating and you know that would I so I think in a lot of ways I, I'm grateful that I don't have to have all of that pressure either all the time yeah. um so that was that one little spot and then the idea of when you are married and and so a man might understand his own pleasure from his own experiences of growing up like we just discussed and a wife doesn't understand much at all unless she's been taught. She doesn't know what to do. And, and yet the husband doesn't know what to do for the wife either. And all the romance novels that people are reading, the, the man knows everything to do, right? <laughs> He's just... And the know, woman's open to it. That. Right, right. Because it is two, it goes two ways, right? <laughs> right. But uh, there's a knowledge that a lot of those characters have of sexuality that most new grooms don't have. And so um, I think getting on the same page before marriage is really important. That's why I do these honeymoon workshops. And that's the one of the, the set. The first section in the part of the book is for you to understand your own sexual um, background and your attitudes and belief system around sexuality. The second part is for couples at any age, but I really recommend prior to marriage to sit down and compare notes and to come up together. I call it a marital sexual playbook because I don't think there should be rules around your sexual relationship in marriage other than the two role, the rules the two of you create together. That's your business, no one else's. And so I like to have good processing between a, a bride and groom before marriage to kind of have an idea of what their what their bedroom is going to look like, what they want their bedroom, and what belief systems they're bringing from their family of origins, and I so preparing for that I think will make that transition so much better. Um, and then as people marry, and I believe sex is intended to be a relational uh, part of life, and it's something that you get to share with your spouse. And so as husband and wife, because of often women are just learning so much about how they feel pleasure, that learning together I and mean, touching yourself, feeling comfortable touching yourself so that you can help him understand how to help you um, feel that pleasure. I, I think that just has to be in the conversation. Yeah, I agree with that. And I like the idea of going into a committed relationship with our beliefs and how we see sexuality. And then, okay, now let's create our own. What is our version of 
sexual mm-hmm. health for us. Yeah. And uh, I've done the yes, no, maybe list of, and really start to own of like, these are definitely no's for me, but these are maybes, these are yeses. And just even being open to the idea without you, you yuck, ew, and shutting things down, but really allowing myself to just consider doesn't mean I need to do them, but if I can just consider it, I've seen it give relief to the person sitting next to me of I'm not some, I'm not gross or I'm not weird or, um, because like you said, from a young age, we are sexual beings and whether we were told that we aren't or not, we are. Mm -hmm. And so to, for me, a lot of just the last seven years for me has been just accepting that I am a sexual being and that it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's turns out, I think it's way more magical to be a woman and have an orgasm than I ever thought was possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really did see it as men are so lucky. It's mm-hmm. so easy. And now I see it as that's too bad for them because we have some magic over here. Um, yeah. And it's, it's great for both, but I just see it very differently now, yeah. now that I understand my own body. And I'm so glad that you have come to a place where you're accepting the fact that being sexual is a good part is to mm-hmm. me, Eros energy, which is a real tangible energy. Um, whenever I talk about Eros energy, sometimes people think I'm whacked out and I, it's not, no, this is a real energy that is good. It's, is um, expansive. It's really part of the happiness that we experience in life through our creativity, as well as our sexuality. We have energy that um, that's a good part of being human. And I think tapping into that and accepting that as this is a wonderful part of myself. I'm so glad you're experiencing that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Okay. So you mentioned something that I have done and I actually do in one of my courses, which is sounds like maybe similar is like a sexual history, which is, um, it's funny. I wish I had done this going into my marriage. You know, I was 19. I didn't have a lot of experience, but I still had a sexual history because I either wasn't having sex or I, I was, you know, there was assault and some other things, but I had beliefs and those beliefs are what created my sexuality. And so I think even going into my relationship, it would have been so beneficial to both of us have this sexual history to just start to unravel maybe. And I can't imagine what my marriage would have looked like had we started with that. And that I, I I am getting old. I'm retiring. (laughs) Actually, this is my last semester at BYU, but I have felt I've got, I don't know someone that does what I do as much like how I do it. And that's why I really have written this book. And I think it's not only what you learn to believe, but it's what you observed. How Mm -hmm. did your parents interact? Because what they, what they don't say about sexuality is telling you as much as what they do say about sexuality. And it's all of those nuances that you are picking up from birth, you're picking mm-hmm. up how do they feel about touching each other? What does my mother, re- how does my mother respond when my father gives her a kiss? How does, you know, how does he look at her? I mean, there's so many ways that 
we are learning about sex with absolutely no language at yeah. all. Not talking about sex is talking about sex. Totally is. <laughs> totally. So I think that to me is imperative. That is what I hope will help couples be able to work through marriage relationships in a healthier way is to come into them with more knowledge and understanding and acceptance for yeah. one another and for for themselves. Yeah. Okay. So what if we're already in a marriage and maybe we're not finding that our sexual pleasure is a priority. And, um, I hear that probably the most I do each month. I open up my Instagram stories for an anonymous, just ask your sex questions, not an expert, just giving you the safe space. And a lot of it is, um, questions about oral sex and partners not wanting to give or receive on on either side. And then there's women who are saying at the same time, I never orgasm. Mm -hmm. I never enjoy sex. It's a chore. It's these things. And, um, so I think it can be, I I'm sure so layered, but tricky when I was the person who, who shut down a lot of the things that could have brought me pleasure because it, I wasn't sure I wasn't, I had sexual history and trauma that I wasn't opening up about and it was keeping me stuck and then therefore affecting my partner. Right. Well, there's layers there. Do do you want me to jump in? Yeah. 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 You're the expert. (laughs) If there has been sexual trauma or assault, abuse of any kind, there's only really one form or modality of therapy that has any type of empirical evidence that it helps process trauma. EMDR. That's what I did. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Get an EMDR certified or trained therapist and do the work because whatever you are not healed from is coming broken into Mm -hmm. a relationship. And that totally impacts the dynamic and the system of that relationship. And, and so individually, before you can really have pleasure as a, as a woman or as a man, that healing of the brain needs to happen. And so seek out, if you're married or not, seek out therapy for that and, and get that help so that you can have your brain healed. Um, know that the brain really is the largest sex organ. Um, if your brain is not if you're thinking I've never orgasm, why try? Mm. Um, this is this is taking a long time. Long. Yeah, I hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah, way too long. I'm sure he's bored. <laughs> there's so many things. Yeah. So if our brains are saying that, our bodies are not able to respond. Our brains will determine what we do, um, what we're able to do, and uh, sexually as far as being able to receive pleasure. And so uh, getting mindful, I have a a section on the book on slower tantric sex, being mindful in your sexuality is really important to get your brain involved and to be able to be fully present. The relationship dynamic has to be grounded in trust. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if you want to have um, relational sex that is going to be passionate and and all the fireworks and things that we see about on the movies, you have to know that there's safety in that relationship and that um, you can trust this person that you're with. This person is being coming fully present and doesn't have 
secrets or betrayal or other things that they're hiding from you, it really does need to be somewhere that you can be safe. Um, it has to be a choice. Anytime you feel like you have to do this for someone else, you're not going to have any pleasure. Choice is imperative. Duty sex is the worst thing you can do to be able to, first of all, really truly connect emotionally in the relationship. And second of all, you're never going to have any pleasure. If you feel you have to do something, it mm -hmm. takes all the joy out of it. Um, so to me, um, oh, and the last thing I wanted to say about that was to also realize that you can still have really passionate lovemaking and not have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be something that's orgasm focused. And so if you haven't experienced an orgasm yet and you feel like you're broken, oh my goodness, you're not broken. There are so many other wonderful ways. Yes, do, you, do I want you to get help so you can learn to do that 100%? But it doesn't mean that you're not, you can't have wonderful, passionate sex. There are a lot of wonderful ways to still make beautiful love together mm -hmm. without needing to focus on the orgasm. So female pleasure, really, there's a lot. <laughs> you can see that little nutshell that has these components all need to kind of be at play in order for a woman to be able to relax and get on board to understand and receive pleasure. Okay. Lots. There is a lot. And I would even add that it's outside of the bedroom in many ways for okay. most of us. Right. Um, just the overwhelm that we can feel I'm a mom, but I'm also a boss. And so I have a lot of thoughts in my head all day long and responsibilities and expectations that I'm trying to fulfill for people. And so yeah, I need, I need some of that relief, the, the mental load, um, and having a partner who's helping with the children, helping with household needs, um, even doctor's appointments. Like there's just so many things as mothers that we carry and, um, that maybe go unnoticed a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and I like, I don't even like to say help because that gives an idea that you're in charge. Yeah, you're right. But absolutely. Partnership relationships need to be partners, fully equitable that both, both partners are there. They're doing, they're participating in the care for the children they brought together into this world. The, you know, all of the responsibilities that the labor that goes into family life and there, that has to be a partnership. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start remembering not to use that help. Cause I, I very much agree with that, especially when I'm going to get my husband to babysit the kids and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> nope. They are his children too. Um, yeah. So, uh, I also think the importance of having conversations outside of the bedroom and so just, is that happening for clients when you first meet with them or is it sex is like this kind of conflict kind of argument that is happening and that's why they're coming to you? Um, I mean, I think a lot of couples are coming to me because they don't have knowledge okay. of how their bodies work. Um, there are couples that have been married years and years and there's just a total disconnect where, um, what I see often happening is that there's a really highly religious wife mm. who has put the brakes on 
their sexual is totally controlling the sexual relationship and it's almost like her, anytime there's hierarchy in a, in a marriage relationship is not healthy when one person has a louder voice like the in this situation these wives that are controlling their sexuality the how much they make love when they want to make love they is all they're not in the mood they're saying everything about it you're having unhealth um that is unhealthy and so evening out this um becoming equal partners sexually i do a lot of that type of work one partner shouldn't have more control and um and so i like to kind of give someone that hasn't had a voice for a while more of a voice either side either man or woman to be able mm -hmm. to give them more voice when there's been betrayal with um affairs infidelity or um, extensive pornography use a lot of times people are really hurt and there's not that trust component there so a lot of times I'm helping couples repair um, and start learning how to work as a team. Um, a lot of, I think a lot of times for the first time they start learning how to work as a team. Mm. That has to happen outside of the bedroom if you want it to happen in the bedroom. Oh, I love that. And I am sure at points in my marriage, I was that gatekeeper of we're either on or we're off. And I don't like that. I don't like it in dating mm -hmm. that there, the woman is often the gatekeeper as well in adult dating. And it's, it's fascinating to me and also icky to me. <laughs> it, it, and I, I think I've, I've thought about this so much, Ashlyn, like, was it because it was modeled by our parents? And I can say, honestly, yes. In my growing up home, I know my mother controlled what mm. happened bedroom I know it from all the things I saw her do outside of the bedroom I know that that she controlled all of that and that's so to me if there's something that if you were to really look inside of your marriage relationship from an external like looking as a compassionate observer into your relationship and see what really is going on and and put yourself your your, your ego mm -hmm. on the table take it away and humbly look at the situation and see yourself. Are you, a lot of times we want to have better help. I hate that word again, but help <laughs> with work of the home or something. Yeah. And yet if it's not done the way, if it's not done the way we think it needs to be done, then we really come down hard and we're not really pleasant to be around and <laughs> make it miserable sometimes. And so if you really look at yourself, how much of the problems that you're really having are because you're, you're trying to have so much control. And when you're trying to yeah. have control, it's always based in fear. Yeah. <laughs> you just described me like old me so well. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I, it's fun to meet you. <laughs> the new me is, uh, I definitely use my voice and I definitely don't self-betray. I used to self-betray and, uh, duty sex and, and gatekeep and frustration. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, I just, the old version of me, I just, I hurt for her mm -hmm. that she just didn't know she could have more and ask for more and was worthy of more and worthy of help from experts like yourself. And so I'm just, I really am enjoying this conversation because I like old me is like loving it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. There's people out there getting help. I love it. There are. Yeah. So just 
like, let's wrap it up a little bit and just what would you suggest for those of us who I'm not included? I don't know. I just include myself. Those who are in relationships, uh, marriages that maybe are not finding their prioritized in their pleasure as women, where can they, what are some steps maybe they could take to say, I want to start prioritizing? Yeah. Well, I think the, the first to acknowledge the fact that you want to have more pleasure and to be more of a priority sexually is lovely. I love that. Embrace that desire. Don't squelch it. Don't the self-betraying talk that we do that you're not worthy or you don't have, it's not a priority or any of that. It is a priority. Your pleasure is a priority. Your ability to experience that erotic energy that can come in a dynamic relational sexual dynamic is essential to your happiness. And so um, embrace that desire. There's so many ways to get help. Um, to me, the most economical is through books. And I think that my book replenish is a very good place to start, particularly if you happen to be members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There are wonderful books. And on my website, I have a whole uh, books I recommend that you can oh, okay. and you can totally look at books. Books are affordable. And what I encourage you to do with a book, though, is not just to read it by yourself. It's okay to read or listen alone, but I would invite you to invite your spouse into the conversation and own it, own your own garbage. You can't change him or her. You can change you and say, you know what? I realize I don't know how to receive pleasure. Yeah. And I want to know how to receive pleasure. Will you help me learn? Ask for help to learn. And then together, read read your information, listen to them, talk about it, and, and shore up the trust in your relationship so that this does become a priority. You are worth that every bit. Um, as far as physiology, I think most men and women, I suspect most men and women, especially if they have been um, married for a while and this hasn't been a priority, maybe don't really know quite what to do to mm -hmm. feel that, that goodness and that pleasure. So, you know, come to a making love retreat. I do them virtually since COVID and they're so economical. I used to do them live. I, I In the summers, I would travel through Europe during them and it was so much fun, but they're so expensive for couples. <laughs> And now I started doing them virtually and it's like, wow, these are so affordable. I don't think oh, I'll good to doing them live anymore. It's not worth the money. Honest, it's not worth the money to do them. Get yourself a hotel room for a weekend and tune in and then go to work. Tune in, go to work. Ah, I love that. And private and it's awesome. So, go, you know, there are all kinds of ways that you can, especially if you find someone you trust and you feel like they have the same values as you and you feel comfortable with the way they talk about marriage or they talk about um, individual um, ownership and as well as talk about sexuality. I think find people that you really feel comfortable with what they're talking about and see what they have to offer. Uh, therapy is quite pricey. If you can afford it, I think reaching out to do therapy, but I know a lot of couples that can't be a financial uh, priority. And so retreats and I think retreats and books are a great way to get started with that. Even just taking some time um, alone together, letting, uh, you know, talking about 
what do you what do you think about using different types of vibrators? I just did a whole big thing on vibrators and getting just the right type of a vibrator mm -hmm. to help, especially for some women, they take up to 10 times longer to be able to orgasm than their husbands do. And that can be really discouraging for both partners. That can really be shortened with a use of a vibrator and knowing how to use it or what type of vibrator to use to help with that. So getting just little things, information like that can, can add so much. Um, it can just add so much happiness to your life and into your relationship. I could talk about this all day. So I, don't I know. No, I want you to. I love it. Um, I was just thinking, cause you say, um, it takes us longer as women, but it's a, um, this, I saw this yesterday, male orgasm lasts around six seconds while female orgasm lasts around 20. And so it may take us longer, but <laughs> the pleasure is also longer. Yeah. Not only that, but once a woman has orgasmed, you know, men have a, this is the guy, he has a refractory period. Women can, you can continue the multiple <laughs> orgasm over and as long as you want. And there's so, there's so, you were talking about magical sexual. Yes, that is the magic. <laughs> there is magic. It is magic. And honestly, the, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's like your whole brain's on carbonation or something. But <laughs> there's this energy that comes from having this in your life that pours out such goodness into yeah. your home, into your relationships and into caring for yourself. You start realizing, wow, I, not only am I worthy of pleasure, I also am worthy of getting a uh, childcare. So my husband and I can go skiing or I'm worthy to, you know, just do things. You're worthy of that. Mm, I love it. Oh, Tammy, I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that, um, the listeners just choose you, choose you in educating yourself, opening the dialogue between you and your partner, and if you're single and, and not sexually active, now's the perfect time to yes. figure it all out. I still have, I am, I'm actually teaching a conference. I'm so nervous about it. At BYU's asked me to do a conference in two weeks on being single and sexual simultaneously. Mm. And it's sold out and I'm so stressed out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm preparing the right kind of information, but single people, they, they're still sexual and yeah. they're you need to be able to have and utilize that energy, that Eros energy into things that still give you satisfaction and happiness. So, well, I am so glad to hear that they are offering that because one of the first things I got asked after my divorce was how do, how do you turn off your sexual, um, desire now? And I thought oh. I'm not going to, why would I? <laughs> No, you, you don't turn off, but do we need to manage it? Absolutely. Yes. I think part of our, the social moral development that we have comes through our sexuality. So yeah. learning to own, um, your, your thinking and be able to just make wise prefrontal cortex decisions with, um, within your own self, I, those are important factors. Yeah. And values figuring out, especially me as I left religion, my values are very much the same as they were inside. And so really going to that place, it doesn't make me all of a sudden I'm crazy. And I'm you are still not very, <laughs> I'm very much the same as I was before um, in many ways and some ways I'm different. So 
Anyways, thank you so much. I will put all your information in the show notes. So make sure you go follow and grab some of those free resources from Tammy. Thank you, Ashlyn. I am so glad I could be with you today. You're darling. Oh, thank you. Thanks for being here with me today. Whether I was with you doing your dishes while you got ready or driving in your car. If you found a nugget in this episode, please take 30 seconds. You can click on the link below in the show notes and leave me a quick review over on iTunes, or you can share on social media or shoot me an email. It offers me your support without you having to spend a dime or much of your time. Until next time, be the buffalo.